Welcome to the Sparks and Space podcast. I'm your host, Ailish Lucas, and each week I'll be bringing sparks of inspiration to ignite into your business and the space to remind you who you truly are. I'm so excited you're here. So let's dive in. Today I have an incredible guest with me. I have the amazing Terry Cole, who is a licensed psychotherapist. She is a transformation coach. She is the founder of the Boundary Bootcamp, the founder of the Real Love Revolution, a sister mum, a daughter, a wife, and everything in between, and most importantly, a change maker. So thank you so much for joining us, Terry. Why, thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Woo, I'm so excited because I was just mentioning to you on the call before about um, just before we hit record about how I followed you for quite a while and um, so has one of my friends. I remember when you very first started your podcast and my friend had said, oh my goodness, Terry's doing it. And then I think she randomly saw you. It sounds really stalkerish and she'll probably be dying right now. But um, she was in New York and apparently you were um, in a class next to her um, both doing yoga and she was like, oh my goodness, it was so cool. So um, you're held in very high regard over in this side of the world. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so before we get into everything about love and relationships and boundaries, um, because that's what we're going to be talking about today, um, I'd love to find out what your morning routine is like, because that's what I ask everybody. So can you give us a bit of insight into it? Sure. Um, I get up and the first thing I do is run downstairs and hit the on button on the coffee maker because it's already ready to go. And I run back up, I brush my teeth, I pee, and then I meditate. So that, that's the earliest part of the routine. I don't usually start working or put my phone on or check anything until around 11 or 12 o'clock. Mm -hmm. So my whole team knows we're not doing any work. Sometimes I'll have an early client, but that's not really my preference. Generally speaking, I wake up with my husband, we meditate, and we do some kind of exercise. So somehow move my body, whether I go to yoga, whether I, do, I love uh, Zumba, I do a lot of that. We live in the country, so we, we might go hiking if it's not minus 40 degrees. Um, it just depends on the time of year. But that's really my morning thing. I drink, you know, I do warm water with lemon. Sometimes I do juice. Right now I'm not doing too many carbs. So I'm not really juicing as much as I was. But there's always some like filling up my cup before the day begins, because then it's, it's sometimes can be very hard. Like I'll take breaks during the day. But I find that having a really solid morning routine that really is um, nurturing for me, it's nourishing for me to have time with my husband, meditate. Sometimes I do energy work after that. A very close friend of mine is a beautiful energy expert, so she's got a million things online, so I do one of her things. And then I'm ready. Then eat something and ready to get into the day. Yeah, I love that so much. And I'm really fascinated by morning routines, um, mainly because I, um, if anybody follows me or has followed me for a while, um, last year and the year before, I just felt like I was a bit all over the place because I didn't have a morning routine. So I made it a priority this year, like from the first day that I got back um, to like starting on, the work, on my business, I um, would get up at quarter past five, I would journal, I would have my hot water and lemon as well as a coffee. 
um, and um, do my visualizations and um, then head on over to the gym. And I would be back by half past seven. And I just found it absolutely transformational and um, just thought it was incredible. And now I'm addicted to it. And it's like, mm -hmm. I absolutely cannot stop. So um, I love hearing about morning routines because I just think they're amazing. Mm -hmm. So I lo also love the fact that you don't do any meetings or like go on social media or anything or your emails till 11 o'clock. And um, I sometimes sneakily um, get into doing that. And I think it's really important that I, I don't. Um, so I'm going to take your lead and uh, not do it <laughs> going forward. <laughs> it takes a certain amount of discipline though to, it's sort of like realizing. I, I went, you know, pedal to the metal for so many years in my career. I had a career before I became a psychotherapist. So it's like, I've done all of that burning yourself out stuff, getting sick, having to like drop out of life to get better. So I don't know. I think that because I'm older than you, it's like I've already been through the process of realizing that that only looks like it works, but it actually doesn't work because you don't end up with any quality of life. Mm, yeah, it's so, so true. So I want to talk a little bit, first of all, um, about how you got into being a love coach and being a psychotherapist, because mm -hmm. um, you were a talent agent before this, weren't you? I was, indeed. Well, I think my own journey really profoundly impacted what I ended up doing, because I started therapy very young, so on my own at the age of 19, like consistently, and I pretty much have been in, I mean, I've taken a few years off here and there, but generally speaking, it's a lot of decades of just uncovering what needed to be uncovered. So I started at 19 and then I stopped drinking when I was 21, which also profoundly impacted my life. And what I learned, then I got into self-help and I started reading books and, you know, you're young, but this was like the eighties and the nineties where it was like the road less traveled by M Scott Peck. And there was, there was all of these books that opened my mind in a way that I, I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow. So my biggest takeaway from that time period was that it didn't actually matter what hands, like what hand I was dealt, right? So here's, here's some cards. I used to think, well, this is it. what are we doing with this hand? Because this is what we have. Through the process of therapy, I got to the point of realizing that it didn't matter what hand I was dealt. Like I could just go, I don't like that hand. I don't like that deck. I don't like this fucking game. Like I'm changing it all. Guess who's making up the game of my life? Me. Because the truth is, whether we know it or not, we're all making it up. So whether it means that we've taken on limiting beliefs of people before us in our families, or if we didn't, you know, all of these things get handed down unconsciously and consciously, most people, and I was one of them, didn't realize I had a choice. I was like, oh, well, this is where I am, this is what I'm going to deal with. That changed everything for me. So throughout the many years, and I make that sound like it happened quickly, it did not. So I spent years in the entertainment business and I was basically negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities for like endorsement deals and movies. Uh, and I had like what would be considered some kind of a fancy life. You know, people thought it was like a very sexy sort of, um, you know, sparkly career. You know, after almost being in it for 10 years, I was like, this, I'm not happy. Like, even though I was super ambitious, right? So I got to like kind of the top of the heap ish. You know, I was running a talent agency in my early 30s and representing Naomi Campbell and super famous people. But I kept thinking every next thing was going to make me feel the way I wanted to feel. 
right? Every next experience, every maybe more money, maybe when I'm the boss, maybe when I'm running everything then. And then I got there and I was like, crap, this is not, I do not feel the way I wanted to feel. And I remember um, telling my father that I was going to quit my fancy job and uh, go back to grad school at NYU, get like $80,000 in debt and become a psychotherapist. And he was like, why? Like, what? Why is that a good idea? And I said, you know, he's like, that sounds weird. Literally his words. He is now dead. But, you know, he was just like, I don't get it. And I was like, hey, you know, it's cool. Like, you don't have to get it because I don't need anything from you. Like, I'm doing it because what matters to me is that I'm actually not happy or fulfilled in this career. And I feel like I'm a part of the problem because, you know, the world of modeling and stuff is so misogynistic please. I mean, just women, you know, should weigh no pounds. It's like that whole thing. Keep in mind, this was the nineties, right? Mm -hmm. The main part of my career was in the nineties. So I just was like, I just have to get out of here. And really what, another thing that inspired me to get out was that one of my nieces, uh, my oldest niece had a weight problem. And was it a problem? Because our society thinks that anyone who's not a size two is a problem. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh my God, what am, I, what am I saying to Shelby about her by being in this industry that like worships anorexia, basically? Like, it's just so fucking unhealthy. I just don't want to do it. So anyway, got out of there. And then um, I actually stayed in the entertainment business though, the entire time I was in grad school because I was like, well, how are you living? Because you didn't save any money. I mean, I made, I made lots of money, but then I also traveled around the world and did whatever the hell I wanted to. And I don't know, no, nobody really taught me about that put away. You should have six months put away. Like I, I, I have that now, but you know, I was young. I was like, I don't know. Anyway, I stayed working throughout that time. And then I graduated and just started a private practice. And that was in 1996, maybe a long time ago. Yeah, that's amazing. And I love that you had a career and then you decided to stop it and do what you really loved because um, I myself have done that. So I got to the age of what I, I think I was 35 and I was like, no, I've just got to do this. And like, because I just, I know that there's more that I can give and there's more that I want to do. Mm -hmm. compared to what I was doing so it's really nice to hear somebody like yourself um, retrain and then just be so successful in it as well so thank you for that and for being who you are your aim is to help women attract and sustain real love into their life so mm -hmm. how can we do this firstly if we're single and secondly if we're coupled already um, and in a relationship well I, I'll, I'll expand on my desire right so my desire really is to help women live live lives and have relationships that like really light them up like not just like hey it's okay you know certainly wow it, it sucks we definitely don't want that but but it's it's really like moving into your potential for actual happiness you know and i think that that's maybe that's a high bar but I know it's possible because I've done it in my own life and I've helped at this point, 22 years later, I've helped thousands of women over this journey. So let's go back to the question though. So how as single, start with single, how as single women do we um, basically attract and then sustain? I call it healthy, vibrant, durable love, let's say. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that it's the same 
for single women and it's the same for women in a relationship. Now, your techniques might be a little bit different because if you're in a relationship already, you got to deal with that person and you were one way when you got together and now if you change, <laughs> that person's going to be like, ah, what's going on? But the way that I, I teach women how to do this is really through their relationship to themselves. So we hear all this crap online about like, just love yourself more. I'm like, how about, a, can we get a guide with that? Can somebody give me some steps? Because that just sounds like bullshit, you know? So I came up with steps. So I looked at 20 years in the trenches, basically with my clients day to day, in and out, understanding. And I took copious notes. I basically did this experiment over time of like, what actually creates sustainable change? And what just creates temporary change? So we call sustainable change transformation. We call temporary change just change because eh, you could become a vegan and then you could eat eggs, right? Then, then you're not a vegan anymore. Like the types of shifts that I create in the courses that I have are all aimed at sustainable change because so much of it is we are basically taking this information that's in the basement of your mind, right? The basement of the house, the basement of your mind, which is your unconscious and moving it all up into the conscious mind. Why do we do that? Why do we care? Because how can you change what you are not consciously aware of? It's impossible. So this is what creates transformation because we may have an awareness here where we're like, I want a better relationship. I want better communication. I'm gonna take a course on communication, great. If this crap in the basement is not dealt with, it will be really, really challenging to have your communication style actually transform. It may change temporarily, but we're talking about sustainable change, right? So I look at, I'll just tell you how I, what I created, and then we can, I can give some ideas for uh, the people who are listening, watching. I came up with the five pillars of real love. And, you know, it starts with my theory, and I'm sure I'm not the only person who thinks this, but that the only path, to any healthy other love is self-love. That's it. Some people, there are always going to be exceptions to the rule. But the reason I came up with these pillars and the path and the steps is because I had so many women over two decades who were smart, accomplished, high-functioning, uh, can negotiate systems, um, determined, hardworking, uh, industrious, and they, their lives reflected that, except their love life. So they were either in a relationship that was not satisfying, and they didn't know how to make it better, they were in a bad relationship, or they had just given up on dating altogether because when you're good at things, right, when you're smart, when you can negotiate systems, it's like this injury, it's like a wound where you're like, how, why, why? Well, how can I not figure this out? You look at everyone in the world is partnered. And then you think of all the people in your life. You're like, how, does she, how is she married? How, is she, how she is, you know what I mean? So what I would always say to clients, and when I say to you, if, if you're nodding your head inside while you're watching this, is that first of all, 98% of the time, you wouldn't want what other people have, trust me. And simply because people are partnered does not mean that they're happy or healthy or that, that what they have is something that you would really actually be envious of. So I bring everything back to you, the person, because it all begins and ends with you. So basically the five pillars, and in the Real Love Revolution course, we do 
two weeks on each pillar, right? So it's like five pillars goes over 10 weeks. So the first is self-awareness. So basically we're bringing everything that you need to know from the basement to the main part of your house. Trust me, it takes more than two weeks, but, but we get a, a lot of it up in two weeks so that you're like, holy crap, people are making connections. And the, one of the biggest things we do in that period of time is we uncover what I call your um, love blueprint. So it's basically a downloaded blueprint, similar to an architectural blueprint for a house, basically that someone else designed. Could be decades, could be centuries ago. What ends up happening in family systems is that they just get handed down from like generation to generation. So in my own life, my, my love blueprint handed down from my parents, thanks mom and dad, was kind of like, mm, my mother thought men were people to be managed, right? Not people to be like honestly connected to, but to be managed. You don't really tell them the truth. We never told my father anything. It was like he had four daughters and a wife and like a girl dog. The poor guy didn't have a chance. But, you know, it was all like we knew everything but didn't, don't. And so that was how I related in my young life romantically, keeping lots of secrets, thinking that was normal. Well, I don't know. What, what, what else do I know, right? These are models of behavior. So every single person in you as well, you have these. Now, through my years of therapy, my own personal work, I came to this realization with the help of a very brilliant therapist who I went to for many years that just because love was kind of meh for my parents, they ended up getting a divorce when I was 13. My mother had an affair with her boss, but that's, trust me, when people say like, what broke up your parents' marriage? I'm like, oh, trust me, my parents' marriage is what broke up my parents' marriage. <laughs> like an affair is just a symptom of the problem, which is usually not the affair. Um, and so her, what the realization was that simply because it was that way for them didn't mean it had to be that way for me. It wasn't my destiny or it wasn't like written in stone that love had to kind of suck just, just because it did for my parents. And that was enough for me to just lose my mind with optimism and hope. I was like, what? Are you kidding me? Like I can, you're, what do you mean? Like I can have the thing I wanted. I never dreamt really my parents got married. My mom was pregnant. She had to drop out of college. So another thing, you know, my love blueprint basically also said that marriage kills your dreams. She got pregnant with my sister. I was the youngest of four. So I was like, who the hell wants to get married? Because then it ends up, you never do the thing you wanted to do in life. So forget it. So my mother was always giving me these um, overt and covert messages, which is get an education, make your own money so that love can be a choice and not a need, basically, so you don't end up trapped the way I feel like I'm trapped. Mm. And you know, I'm, a, if, I'm, I'm nothing else if not super coachable. So I took that shit to heart. I was like, yes, I'm gonna be so successful that I'm never gonna have to depend on anyone. But again, there was like this fear of being vulnerable, fear of being honest. And so I'm just sharing my blueprint so that others listening and watching can be like, oh yeah, so what is mine? What did my parents sort of teach me or my caregivers? Maybe you were raised by a single parent. Maybe you were raised by two dads or two, two moms or your grandparents or foster care. I don't know. But we all had some models of behavior that profoundly impact what we think about love. And usually those are limiting beliefs. And here's the thing. We also probably have amazing things we learned from our folks. Yay. But it doesn't help you or anyone for me to like talk about those things, right? I, I'm here to troubleshoot, <laughs> to help you sort of get the fastest from point A to point B. How can you get there sort of the quickest? And most therapists would not create 
courses and they don't because I'm sure many of them think I'm nuts, but I know that my demographic is very smart. I don't think everyone needs to be in therapy for 20 years. I really don't, especially when you know what you want, right? If someone is like, I really want to get married. I really want to find my person and create a life with like an awesome co-pilot. That's a specific want, you know? And yet we do go to, it all has to do with your relationship to yourself. So let me go back to the pillars for a minute. Wow, long way around the barn to get back to the pillars. <laughs> so pillar one was self-awareness. And we do this in every way. We download a love blueprint and start really getting ideas about who were we in our family of origin? What was our role in the family? There's all oh, there's birth order. There's all this other stuff that we cover. How was your life growing up? Friends, school, other, other important figures in your life. So we start to really get like the peak experiences, good and bad, that basically come out of all of these um, questions. I like to say like, I'm no, like I'm nobody's love guru, but I'm a damn good GPS to help you find your answers. Because so much of the time, they're basically in your unconscious mind and you just don't know how to get there, right? But I can, I can help you get there with the right questions. So we move into, after the first two weeks, and we move into um, self-knowledge. And that's basically, now we're talking about past relationships. We're talking about what you've experienced so far to date. And even uh, friendships, like all of these things, the way we relate in all of our relationships has been influenced by this, our blueprints, you know? So we're just bringing, like, how can we change stuff if we don't know what stuff needs to change? It's like, we can't just go, I just want to fall in love and have it be easy. Well, I mean, you can say that, but there, it really, what it, my tagline is, it's not magic, it's psychology. Because in my experience, that is true. So we, we learn all of this bull crap out there in the world, movies, television shows. It is this fantasy, it's, it's so easy. It's like a dream. It's like, it's not like that mm. in most relationships. And if it is in the beginning, it doesn't usually stay that way. So the only way to sort of avoid the pitfall is basically knowing yourself because what, I want you to think about it this way. You set the bar, your relationship to yourself sets the bar for every other relationship in your life. So if you have a crappy relationship with yourself, if you talk badly to yourself, if you put yourself down, if you have all these perfectionistic traits that like make your life miserable, you're going to be attracting people, right? So your low self-opinion will be inviting, energetically, you're inviting people in who agree with you. So if you don't take care of yourself and you work yourself to death, you will invite people in who are like, it's fine. She never sleeps. It's cool. I still need you to do this thing for me, right? You're telling them how to regard you by how you regard yourself. So as much as I could never name a course like self-love is the only path to true love because nobody would take it, but it actually is the truth. So we move into self-knowledge, we're collecting, we're collecting, we're collecting, and then we move into the third pillar is self-acceptance because it's so easy. Oh, we want to protect our parents, which is fine. Like I'm not blaming anybody's parents, right? Let's just assume they did the best they could with the consciousness they had at the time done. Like all of our parents made mistakes. And hi, if you're a parent, if anyone out there is a parent, you're making mistakes right now. Let's just hope that they're going to forgive you, right? Like I, I, the child within us wants to be like, oh, it was so long ago. Why do I care? Why do I got to talk about that? Or, you know, I don't, I don't want to blame, especially the women in my crew is very like high functioning 
successful women are like, listen, my life is my thing. Like, I'm not blaming my parents. I'm like, okay, can we make the distinction <laughs> that we're not blaming your parents? But being in denial of the way your parents, the mistakes that they made that impacted you, doesn't fix the way it impacted you. So it's like the little kid, right? The grown-up you is like, ah, uh, hi, I'm 40. Like, I should just have figured this out by now. Like, it's not about my parents. But the child within, we all have these children within us, is like, I would like someone to acknowledge how much that sucked. Could anybody please just be like, hey, I see you. I understand that that was brutal, whatever the thing was. We all have those disappointments. And when we go through the process, and part of this process is we're getting like a narrative, a cohesive narrative about our own life, which like puts things, instead of this fragmented thing, it sort of puts things into this thing where you're like, oh, okay, so this makes sense. Oh, and look, now I can connect the dots from now. Like, look, why has love been eluding me? Why am I attracting unavailable men? Oh my God, look. Now I'm connecting the dots backwards to realize, oh my God, my father was never home. So to me, unconsciously, it made sense that like someone who, who would be appropriate partner material would be in some way unavailable because that's how my father was. So for people who haven't had therapy, perhaps these connections are not as obvious as they are to me because I've had like 7,000 decades of therapy, but, and I've been a therapist for so long. But trust me, there's a connection. And when we can connect the dots backwards. This is how we can liberate ourselves from these unsatisfying repetitions. So I'm going to go back to the pillars and then I'm going to give, um, I want to give the, the women who are listening, watching, um, just a tip so that you can, like a shortcut to figure out what you might be repeating. Okay. So the fourth pillar is self-compassion. I find this one to actually be the hardest because we're so much like, listen, I'm fine. Like I got it, whatever. I'm good. I don't, I don't need help. I'm good. I mean, anybody watching this going, oh yeah, oh my God, that's me every day. This is so common where we're just like, if I just do it myself, then A, I don't owe anybody anything, right? There's no expectations, but it's also a learned behavior. And listen, there may be people watching this who go, wow, I'm, I depend on people too much. But I find Honestly, the most, the women in my crew are like, I'm self-sufficient, like, which is why they don't see themselves as codependent, but they are. So we'll get to that after as well, you know, I, which I never did either. I was like, whatever, codependency, isn't that about people who get involved with addicts? Like, that's what I thought. I thought it was like, isn't that like enabling and codependency? Isn't that what that is? Yeah, no. So then, you know, through therapy, I was like, I've, re I've realized it wasn't through the process of that realization and then 20 years of working with women, right, in the field, I had to actually make up a new name because so many women were, were not getting the help that they needed or, or getting relief from the pain that they were in around their codependent tendencies because they couldn't recognize it as codependent. So I just now call it high-functioning codependency, right? Because we're so friggin' high-functioning that we do barely even fall into the category, but the truth is, if we are trying to um, like impact the outcome, the feeling state, the decisions of other people, how often are we just giving people our opinion? Oh, I'll help you. Oh, you need to get a job? Yeah, yeah. No, I looked up, I looked up things for you. I'm going to send it to you. Cool. Like, that's codependency. Like, you don't need to look up that person's job. Like, 
being a good friend isn't necessarily that. That just helps your anxiety about them maybe not having a job. Mm. You get it? So whenever we're trying to control outcomes, and when you think about it that way, right? Because the women in my crew would be like, I'm not codependent. Listen, everybody comes to me. Like, I'm the rock. I'm the one. I'm like, yeah, because you're trying to control outcomes for other people. And I had the, that, that realization in my own life, which is why I'm so sensitive to it. I mean, many years ago with one of my sisters who always had problems and my therapist was finally like, uh, let me ask you something. What makes you think that you know what lessons, what experiences she needs to have in this lifetime? And I was like, well, I think we can all agree. She doesn't need to be with like abusive boyfriends and who are alcoholics or whatever. And she was like, yeah, no, actually, I cannot agree with that because I'm not God. Like, I don't know what she needs, but you don't either, Tara. And I was like, wait a minute. Are you telling me this is not my responsibility? I'm going to do a frigging jig. Like, I thought being a good sister meant that I would try to save her from herself. And she was like, but you can't. And what you're really doing is blocking her from whatever growth, right? You're postponing. When, when we don't allow the people in our lives to have their own, the ramifications for their own choices, right? Like there is a cause and then uh, there's a result of that. And when we try to get in there and be like, yeah, no, it's, it's cool. Like I paid off this person or I got you the lawyer or I did whatever. You're, you're doing that for yourself. And when I, when I got that, wow, it was so painful because I love to think of myself as like Mother Teresa. I was like, wait a minute. So I'm not doing it because I'm so awesome and loving and kind. And she was like, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit, but mostly no. It's, you just want your pain and anxiety about her disaster of a life to stop. I was like, wow, so what do I do instead? And then she helped me learn that I could just step back. I say, hey, while you're in a relationship with someone who's abusive, I can't be close to you because it's too painful. So I can't talk to you. I can't have you telling me what a jerk the guy is because I knew it from the second I met him. And now three years in, you're still surprised that he's abusive? Hi. Why? <laughs> and why do I need to hear it? Which I don't. So anyway, wow. Long way around the barn. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. <laughs> self-compassion. So that's where we were. We were at self-compassion. That is treating yourself with respect, being kind to yourself buying yourself gifts, um, and really treating yourself the way you would treat a five-year-old kid that you love. Talking to yourself in the same tone, right? Not mm -hmm. being so punitive and so like, you're an idiot. That's why you're doing that. Like, if we really dial into that inner mean voice, woo, it can be really bad. So we handle all of that in the fourth pillar. And then the fifth pillar is self-love which is basically a way of life. You know, it's not like a feeling. And, and the thing is, if we don't take the actions that make it a way of life, we don't really get there. Mm -hmm. You know, like uh, people love to talk about like, it's just love, just love yourself more. You're like, I, that just makes no sense. Who the hell knows what that means? I don't even know what that means. Other than to break it down the way that I have into steps and into really analyzing, how do I treat myself? Do I fuel my body with good things? But there's even more obvious things. Am I abusing myself with drugs and alcohol, right? Is, is that loving? And would you want that for a child that you loved? And it's, for a lot of people, it's easier. Women who, who do so much and who are very over-functioning, 
to be able, if I always put it in another way, like pick someone that you really love or pick a child that you love, do you, would you want that for them? Would you think that they should not eat all day and then drink like, you know, tons of coffee and then only eat one meal a day at six o'clock? That, would you think that would be nutritious and good for them? They'd be like, of course not. I'm like, okay. So how about we at least treat ourselves as well as someone, you know, a kid that we really love. Mm. And that's, that's a process. Now I've managed to like cram that into a 10 week course, which of course, you know, the course, you know, it, it reverberates for the rest of your life, basically what you learn. But the thing is you can learn. So I'm going to actually go back to the original question, which is, how do single and or partnered women, how do we change our, what I now told you is your downloaded love blueprint. And basically if you're in a relationship, how you're interacting and we do it all with baby steps. But the first thing that you do is raise your awareness about what you learned and from whom. So you look at your parents' relationship, how did they communicate, who had the power, who controlled the money. There are all these different things that you look at and then you'll be able to see like, oh my God, I'm doing that. Some people go the opposite way and do the exact opposite. I thought I had out, outsmarted my whole repetition when I was like in my mid to late 20s, I was like, oh here, I'm never gonna be with someone like my father who was very quiet, uptight, kind of waspy. I don't know if you say that where you're from, but you know what I mean? Okay. So like golfing, you know, Wall Street Journal reading, Brooks Brothers suit wearing, like that. Who would never talk about anything? And so my whole thing was being attracted to all these super affectionate, warm, verbal, um, physically affectionate guys, but they all lived on other continents. Mm. So it took till the third time I was in a, literally a relationship with someone who lived at that point, he lived in Greece. Until my therapist was like, P.S., you're actually still attracting unavailable people. <laughs> Even if they're nice, they're not available because you're in the New York City alone. So this is what's happening. So it can be very tricky, like to sort of outsmart this repetition. So I wanted to give you a little tool that if you're in a situation over and over again, and this is another way to sort of dial into your blueprint if we find ourselves in repeated situations, or if you look at something in life and say, wow, this thing continues to elude me. I, I continue to not be able to make this thing happen. Why? Let's say you're in a relationship and it's about that relationship. It could even be about a boss that you have. It could be about a friend situation that you're in. You know, the course focuses on love relationships, but really it affects all relationships. So you ask the three questions. I call it the three cues tool, where the first question is, who does this person remind me of? The second question is, where have I felt like this before? And the third question is, why is this dynamic, like the, the relationship dance that I'm doing with this person, why is that familiar to me? And then you start to get some answers. And then people will always say, well, okay, well, so I realize like this person reminds me of my dad. Why does that matter? Right now, what do I do with it? The first thing is, imagine that we just took a whole bunch of crap from the basement and just walked it up the steps and turned on the lights and opened the windows. Because that is information you didn't really have before. Because most people never think about this. Mm. Even if they go, oh yeah, maybe it's like my dad a little bit. But when you really get into it, the realizations can be very profound. You need to keep that in your conscious mind. Like, oh, 
here's the thing. He might remind me of my father, but he's not my father. Because what ends up happening, the last question or way of framing this, if those three questions don't help you, um, is when I'm interacting with my boss, my boyfriend, my friend this way, who do I become and who do they become? So sometimes you may become like the, your, your, your nagging mom, right? And that the other person may become your father, may become you, like young you. So there's lots of different, it doesn't have to be like that we always date our parents. That isn't really true. But when you have a repeated um, situation, you know, Freud would call this repetition compulsion. So it's like we're repeating what we have not repaired. Mm -hmm. And so my whole theory is that if we can get it up and consciously and actively repair it, half of that is done by just acknowledging it. Like, oh, I had a father who was very uninterested in having daughters and I was his fourth daughter. That sucked. That was very painful. Half of my healing came from just being like, oh, so I've spent my life seeking the approval and attention of people in authority because my father was the authority figure in my home and he didn't not give it to me. There you go. What, what did that do? That normalized my relationships with authority figures. It was like the moment I was able to say, oh, my boss, who did actually, one of my bosses reminded me so much of my father, it was insane. And I didn't even realize that I was avoiding him. I would like run away if I saw him in the hallway. I never talked in a meeting if he was in a meeting. And my, this is when um, I hooked on to un really deeply understanding how we could be having these transferences. That's what the three cues helps you figure out, the questions that I just gave you, is where am I having a transference? Meaning, where am I responding now in my life, real time, to unresolved and charged material from the past? Because here's the thing. Just like my boss was not my father, like your boyfriend or girlfriend is not whoever else you may be reacting to them as if they are. So why, why do we care? Oh, because we can't stop behavior until we know what the hell we're doing. Why are we doing those things? The moment that she was like, hello, Tara, who does Dr. Washington remind you of? And I was like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Because I was already in grad school at that point. And I was like, oh, I can't believe that I did not figure that out on my own. But it's so, it seems so real. Like it seems so like he really was a cold, judgmental jerk in my mind, although I'd had almost no interactions with him at all. And she was like, Terry, don't you see? It's your 10-year-old inside of you who, gets, who got activated by his similarities to your father, which then made you go into child like coping mechanism mode, which was to hide, to run away, to become small, to not get in trouble. And she's like, but you get what the problem is? That don't you want him to see how smart you are? And if you never talk in the meetings, don't you see that that's going to negatively impact your career? And I was like, oh my God, yes. <laughs> after that, I was, you know, I, I'm sure he was like, oh my God, this chick is schizophrenic. But after that, I was no problem. Because I now was no longer afraid because now the little kid inside of me was like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know what? I, I, I was relating to him like he was dad, but he's not. And that's cool. Let's, let's move on with our career, shall we? Which I did. So that's, that's the tool. So the three cues, you have them. Um, and then that additional question. So what other questions do you have? Did I? 
I feel like, did I answer that though sufficiently? Yeah, you did. <laughs> Absolutely. And I feel it was so juicy. Um, and I had a few realizations myself, which is really awesome. So um, right I'm sure and all the other girls will as well. Um, I so I, what I wanted to go back to was, um, which links into the next question actually, is um, if you're in a relationship already and mm -hmm. it's not like you love the partner, but you're, it's not where you want it to be. And you, I always find that women are the people who they either want to change their partner or yep. they want to help change the relationship in some way to like up level it to something that they want. So yep. I guess what's the tips for people with partners who want to help make it the best it can be whilst mm -hmm. also not, it, this is kind of two questions. It's like help the relationship be the best it can be, but without this codependency thing where you like want to change your partner because yeah. that's their that's their thing that they've got to do themselves yeah okay so the first thing is exactly as it is for women who are single which is that you got to get really right with your relationship with yourself because so much of the time even if you've been in a partnership for decades the stuff that is making it not feel good to you the stuff that is making it not satisfying these may be repetitions from the past. And so we got to get clear about, all right, what is my side of the street? And what is my partner's side of the street? What shit is mine? And what is theirs? We can't do that. And what is so funny, every, every time we, we want to change something in a relationship, we're like, oh, I'm going to just tell him or tell her, this is going to change and we're going to have a big talk. And I'm going to say, I need to talk to you. And I'm always like, okay, we're not doing any of those things because those are the surest far away for people to be like, I'm not talking at all about anything because I feel like you're blaming me. The, the hardest thing to do is to look within, do your own work, use those three questions to see, hmm, in what way in the dynamics that I don't like in the relationship, maybe you want to talk about something important and your partner is very avoidant, about any hard conversation. Maybe you are good with money and your partner is squandering money. All of these, we, we have models of behavior for how we do it, right? Like none of us just fall off the apple tree a particular way. These, these are things that we learned. So the first thing you're not doing is having like a big powwow with your partner. So not that. You will start to look in, get really clear. Like what are the things that are not working in the relationship then what is my 50 percent of those things what am i doing that keep this going what am i doing because all relationships you know one of my um, personal heroes is dr harriet Lerner, phd she wrote all these books called the dance of anger the dance of deception the dance of intimacy like she's holy shit so brilliant um and this is I mean, years ago, it's so funny. I just, I just like shouted out to her on um, Instagram and said like how like I worship her kind of. And she was like, oh my God, that's so nice. She responded, I almost died. I like blew it up. I was like, oh my God, I'm totally going to get her on my podcast. And my husband was like, you're so weird. But I was like, no, you don't understand. Anyway, my psychotherapist friends did understand that I was like, oh, just to have like a living legend, you know? But anyway, relationships are dance. This is her concept from the dance of intimacy, which so deeply and profoundly impacted my life and my practice and what I teach. Because it was the first time in my life when I was like, 
oh my God, that's so true. Like I do this and then the other person does that. Then I do this and then the other person does that. What happens if they do this and I do something different and I don't respond and I don't get angry and I don't have the same effing fight that I've had with this person for years? Like what would happen then? And what happens is things change. And so part of it is the codependent part of us and the fear part wants to be like, okay, so we need to have a talk and we're going to get in therapy together. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Before you do any of that, there's so much work that you can do on your own in understanding yourself. And when you do, then you can make conscious choices within the relationship. And I highly recommend her books if you're in a relationship and you're interested in, and I love Harville Hendricks's books as well. He's another one I had on my, my podcast. I was fangirling to the point where he, they were both like, oh my God, what? This was his wife, um, Helen. They've been married like 45 years. Anyway, he has a book called um, Finding the Love You Want, which has been, it's been around for like 35 years, maybe 30 years. Beautiful. Um, but his theory is this, that we find people who will mirror our childhood wounds in the hopes that we can heal them together. And my theory is that, yeah, I think his theory is probably true, but without some kind of intervention, the likelihood of healing it and not just repeating the unhealthy crap is not that great. So what I've come up with in my work and what I talk about and lecture about is, what are the things that you can do? You become aware of like, oh, this is what I'm repeating, okay? Now, what do I do to uncharge that thing? And the three cues is one way, because once you're aware of it, now it's in the main part of the house. But you have to make a conscious choice to do something different, and this requires giving up like the victim or the martyr position, because they both, they both come from a similar place. I find the stronger women um, naturally like the bossier ones, the more type A, like I was, end up in the martyr position, like I was saying before. And then the women who are more dependent or more, more submissive, let's say, personality-wise, um, they end up in the victim position where it's other people's fault. What isn't happening in their life? If that person had been different, then it would be different. And anytime that you want to say that, it's like you've got to look in and go like, okay, but what can I do that's different? If I weren't blaming someone else, what would I do? If I, if I could just take full responsibility for myself, for my choices, for my actions, well, how would my life change? And the answer is it would change profoundly. Hmm. I love that. And I think that's so, so helpful because I think it's so easy to put everything on the other person with, uh, without realizing, well, there's two people in this relationship. So if it's not the exact way I want it to be, then it can't just be all this other person and not me as well. So I really, really love that. And then um, I was just taking some notes to make sure I'm writing down the books um, because I always get asked about them in the interviews. Everyone's like, what was that book? Yeah. So, um, so the next question then I kind of wanted to move on to was, I feel like, what you said at the beginning was really, really amazing advice for anybody who was single, um, as well as people who are a couple. But I feel like that was really, just really, really brilliant. And um, just it was good for having breakthroughs. But mm. 
I wanted to also touch on, say for people who are in their mid thirties or even in their twenties, like you get kind of this pressure, like societal pressure anyway, um, of like, they want to find a partner and they want to settle down. Um, but, and, and they know that say the biological clock's ticking in the back of their head, but they haven't found that person yet. Like what would be your advice for those people? Well, the first thing is you've got to have boundaries, right? And you've got to have boundaries with all of these people who are giving you unasked for advice and criticism in your life. And you can do it lovingly, but seriously, people just need to shut the cup and back the book up and stop asking you about what is or isn't happening, what happened to Bob or what, just stop grandma, please stop. So part of it is looking inside and wondering. So the pressure I'm feeling about being partnered how much of it is because I feel like the people in my life are disappointed that I'm not, even if it's out of love, like our family may be doing it out of love. Like you're so awesome. Like, so, such a pretty girl. Why are you not, you know what I mean? Or asking questions about past relations. I mean, I have I the world, forget it. I was single for a long time. I had so many bad, so many bad people saying so many bad, stupid things to me where you just want to be like, oh my God, that's the meanest thing to you realize that that's not nice and none of your business. So boundaries is one thing. Getting clear about why you're feeling pressured because here's the thing. There's a million ways to become a mother if that's something that you're like, I really want to become a mom. Okay, well, I mean, I married a widower. So I ended up with an instant family of three sons. I highly recommend it. Worked out great for me. That was 20-something years ago. But I think you have to really look at what is it that's making you feel afraid? And can you, can you try to have faith that if you do your work, if you stay the course, if you visualize and imagine having the things that you want, if you keep your eyes on your own paper, and be like, you know what? I'm going to fall madly and deeply in love with myself. I'm going to become an expert on me. Not an expert on dating necessarily, although I do think that dating with boundaries is very important. So for, for speaking of boundaries, it's like knowing that every way that you interact on a dating app on any way, someone's texting you, all of those things, you're constantly communicating information. And so what I want to invite you to do is to communicate your value, right? It doesn't, you know, someone may, may text you late at night and be like, hey, I'm near your place. What are you doing? And that doesn't mean you need to let them come over, right? And you can if you want to, but I want you to really think about what builds relationships. I'm, I'm all into what I call the eight date rule. Sorry, but I, I think early sex is bad, not judgment wise. I'm not like approved. What it does is it complicates the process to the point where if a guy isn't, doesn't want to go out with you eight times before getting laid, is that really your person? Because the moment you have sex, it's like now there's this ulterior thing happening for both of you, physically, hormonally, like like, wow, are we just doing this? And listen, some people disagree. Some people are like, I had sex on the first date with my husband. We've been married 40 years. We'll go for you. I can tell you from being in the trenches for 22 years with women that a lot of the times women are being sexual 
not not from a totally voluntary reason. Well, I felt obligated. He bought me a nice dinner, but I didn't want to have sex with him. So I had, or are you kidding me? <laughs> oh my God, stop it. <laughs> Absolutely not. As my friend Chris Carr would say, this is your God pod. Treat it as such. If you give it away, you don't value it. And, and some people are going to be like, that's puritanical bullshit. That's fine. Hey, ma'am, if you're saying, I met someone and I just want to have sex with them, go. I'm not saying don't do that. I'm telling you from a psychological point of view, the way that we interact, the way that we build trust, the way that we build vulnerability, it actually takes time. And when we become instantly intimate, we haven't had that time. And now every time they get in touch, there's a little part of you that goes, oh, it is kind of late. Do you think it just wants to get late? I don't know. I hope not. Like, you know? Mm -hmm. So I felt like eight dates was good. That was my rule. I was like, eight dates. Because you know what? If I don't like you by date four, I'm not going to regret not doing you. And if you can't wait till date eight, then you're not my person. So you guys come up with your own rules and regulations. My point is, I want you to be honest with yourself about what you're doing because you feel pressured to do it, because you have the disease to please, and you don't want them to be mad. But get my bottom line from doing this for many years is that you do not owe anybody your body. That shit is a privilege, an honor, you know? And if we just, if you don't treat it that way, then again, you, you have communicated so much in my experience. And again, I don't want this to be confused with being pretty because I'm really not. I'm just talking about the way that we relate, like in relationships. And you got to show the person that you have um, confidence. You know, there's, um, there's a guy, Matthew Hussey. Is that his name, yeah. Hussey? Yeah, yeah. He's a dating guy. He's so cute. And it's, I like, love him. Anyway, he had this really funny thing. I used it in one of my, this thing I was teaching, obviously giving him credit, but where if some guy tries to text you late at night and he's like, hi, are you here? That he had this great response, which was, oh, I think you've confused me with the future me who's had many more dates with you. Have a good night, winky face. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like, no. But, but you don't have to be like, no, and then assume the worst of the person. What we're doing, this is what boundaries are. What would Brene Brown say that boundaries are? Simply letting people know what is okay with you, what is not okay with you. That's it. But nobody teaches us how to do it. Hence why I created a course on it. Because how are we going to know how to do it if nobody teaches us? Yeah, I love that so much. And um, you also created, um, or you're giving away very kindly to everybody who's watching the boundary meditation, which yes. um, do you want to just explain a little bit more about that? Sure. What I find with, with women in particular, because that's like my expertise, is that we have all these myths around boundaries. If I draw boundaries, people are going to think I'm a bitch. People are going to think I'm difficult. I'm going to like lose friends. I'm going to turn someone off. It's not feminine. There's all of this bullshit around boundaries. It just isn't, doesn't have to be that way. And if we go into it with a preconceived notion that it is, and then we feel really guilty. We're super pissed if we overextend ourselves, right? And then if we actually draw the boundary, then we want to like go back and take it back. All right, you know what? I figured out I could still do it on Sunday. It's okay. It's not, not, not a problem. I just move the other thing. But it is a problem because you're doing that all of your life. And you will get to a point where there's like autoimmune disorders. I ended up with cancer. Like, and I really do believe that the way I lived and how, how little I knew as to how to protect myself appropriately 
had a lot to do with that. It was like, I needed to get sick to stop. Mm. Like literally, I don't think I ever would have stopped had I not, I mean, cancer just, you're like, okay, guess what I have to do now? Stop what I'm doing and figure out what actually isn't working in my life. And if something were to shorten my life, would I be able to say I'm living my best life? And the answer was no way. It was like killing myself as a talent agent. Like, no, that, that was not, I was not living my best life. But I don't want that to be. I always say to women in my courses and women in my groups and wherever I talk, like that doesn't have to be you, right? I had that experience. I could spare you from that experience. You could learn now how to draw boundaries with ease and with grace and with love. And it's not just about not being trampled on. It really isn't. It is actually about being authentically known. Because when we don't draw boundaries, when we don't speak truthfully, when we don't tell people what our preferences are, which so many women don't, they don't know you. And all, we all want love. Okay, well, how is anyone going to authentically love you if you never let them authentically know you? You're not going to. So you can't have it all ways. We have to be truthful and be willing to be voluntarily vulnerable, as I call it. Anyway, so what I'm gifting you to help you on this journey is basically a, um, a guided meditation that I created called Guilt-Free Boundaries. We're trying to take the charge out of that. So I hope you enjoy it. It's probably about 10 minutes long. I kept it sort of short-ish because some people don't meditate, but that is my little free gift for all of your glow babies. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm absolutely going to be downloading that because I think it will be absolutely incredible. So um, I'm just looking down my list of questions that I had here and you've answered so many of them so, so well already. So I just wanted to go to kind of like a final almost like a high, going right back up to high level, like quick tips. Now I know you've given so many already, but um, for what would be like your top tips for giving yourself more self-love as it were um, throughout the day, every day. So then we can build on that each day yep. and become something bigger. I would do small self-care things like starting your day with meditation, like really being mindful of how you're nourishing your body if you are if you're not i would stop the auto yes how about that stop feeling like you have to say yes to everything you know what you don't and if you don't stop the auto yes you end up bitter in fact you don't need to so the the mindfulness piece and another thing i love which is it's actually deepak and uh, tommy what's the last thing the, um there's an app that i really love it's called breathe mm. and it's free and that is something that you can do anywhere. You can set it for one minute. You can set it for like five minutes. As you drop your attention inward and as you take time throughout the day, don't fall in love with your limitations, right? Don't be in love with so busy, so busy, so busy. Just stop. Take a breath. Allow yourself five minutes. Go walk around the block. Get some sunshine. Spend some time in nature. Hug an animal. Hug a kid. Like, there's all these ways that we can fill up our own bucket. The, the, the most basic, though, is giving a crap about your own preference, caring mm. what your preference is. So many of us were taught to be like, it's cool, no problem, everything's groovy, I'm easy. No, stop it. This is also blocking people from knowing you. I can have a preference and still be perfectly easy-ish, right? Mm. It's not like a, it, I, I, don't, I don't find it like a 
badge of honor to be like amazing. Oh, really? How about know yourself? And you can say, if you have a selfish friend who always is like, okay, great. So we'll meet for dinner in Brooklyn again, where you live in Queens. It's having the, the healthy enough self-regard to question, why am I the only person sacrificing in this relationship? Mm. Uh, and hey, Betty, you know what? The last 18 times we met for dinner, we met in Brooklyn. And I don't feel like schlepping. So can we meet in Queens tonight? There's a great place near my place. You could say it nicer than that. Not so much New Jersey attitude <laughs> in there. But do that question where you're abandoning yourself. This is how on the daily you can have more self-love is actually look at where, what do I give up about me to keep the peace? You know? Oh, I love that so much. And I just think that all the tips and the value and insight that you've provided have been absolutely phenomenal. And I know that everyone's going to be sat there making notes and just having these revelations and things. So um, I just wanted to acknowledge you and say thank you so much for what you do because you're unbelievably talented at it and just it, literally incredible. I am fangirling over here right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to say thank you for having me and thank you for what you're doing, providing all of this amazingness for everyone. So I appreciate that as well. No problem. And I'm just finally, the last question is where can people find you if they would like to know more? Yes. Well, there's so many places, but I'll tell you the top ones. I actually have a really um, great podcast called The Terry Cole Show, which is so mm -hmm. funny. Most people don't even know I have because I never talk about it. But then finally, my team was like, um, you're in the top 25 in health and wellness, Terry. <laughs> you have to talk about it. I'm like, apparently somebody's talking about it. So <laughs> if you like what I'm saying, go check out my podcast. I've had it since 2015. Um, and you can get it everywhere, iTunes, I, wherever. Um, my um, website is terrycole.com. That's T-E-R-R-I-C-O-L-E.com. On Insta, which is where I'm very active, pretty much on Insta, it's just at Terry Cole everywhere else. I also have a beautiful free um, female only Facebook group that is open all the time. I do tons of stuff in there. It's called the Real Love Revolution group with me. So all you need to do is look up Terry Kohler. I can give you a link where people can join if they want to. Okay. Yeah. Because if you want to stay in this kind of a dialogue, that's basically what we do there. We talk about the weekly blog. We talk about, you know, people post like what they're going through, what's happening. It's sort of like the safe container. We have about 19,000 women in there at this point from all wow. over the world. So it's like a, it's like a tribe of like, high-functioning sisters. And um, thank you, everybody, so much for watching. And thank you so much again, Terry. You've been absolutely amazing. 